Hi guys, I'm super excited to announce that my book, What Win Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting and Wine, is now available on Amazon.com and Barnes & Noble. It has everything I've learned about paleo, intermittent fasting, wine, as well as 50 gluten-free recipes, and just all the things. I really hope you enjoy it. I think you will. And if you have a moment to write a brief review on Amazon, that would be so appreciated. Thank you so much. All right, now enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 41 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember... The thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi everybody and welcome. This is episode number 41 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi everybody. And how are you today, Jen? I'm doing very well. I am in the middle of an experiment that I'm doing on myself. I think I know what this is. I think I saw it in the Facebook, but what is it? You probably did. I am seeing how I feel without coffee. I knew it. It's so weird. I like wasn't expecting to even try to do it, but somebody else was experimenting with it, and she talked about how great she's sleeping and how she can't believe the great energy that she has. I mean, I've always had great energy during the day, but she said it's a different kind of energy. So I was like, well, I think I'll try it. Because I've just gotten into drinking hot water because it's cold here. So in the afternoon, I was drinking hot water anyway. And I found that I love hot water. I know that sounds nuts, but a mug of hot water is so very soothing. So I was like, you know, the main reason I love the coffee is that hot, soothing coffiness of it. So I switched over to the hot water and I'm drinking hot water all day. And um, I'll tell you, giving up coffee is no joke. <laughs> so what, what day is this? This is day four. Day four. Yeah, I feel better today. Day two was the worst. I want to hear more. So, so, so tell me. I just, see, I'm not one of those taper off people. I'm like, just rip off the bandaid and just me do too. it. Yeah. So I was like, well, if I'm going to see, I'm just going to have to see, right? <laughs> so the first day, day one was Thursday and I felt absolutely fine up until about midday. And then I got a little bit of a dull headache and I still was like fine. But then I came home from work and I was like grouchy and tired and starving and so I was like went to bed at like 7:30. I'm not even kidding. And I slept straight through though. My husband had some kind of some kind of commotion was going on with the cat and he was trying to find the cat and he was hollering for the cat. I slept through the whole thing. He told me about it the next day. I was like, "What? I didn't hear any of that because normally I'm a very light sleeper." So I slept like the dead. Um and I swear I slept for like 9 hours or something crazy. 
Maybe I should try this. It was interesting. Then day two, oh my gosh, the body aches. I was not expecting that. I just thought, you know, headache, whatever. No, my whole body hurt. Like I had arthritis. Like my ankles hurt. My legs hurt. My back hurt. And I was like, this is weird. I wasn't expecting it at all. And I was also starving and crabby. <laughs> but to, so this is day four and you're this feeling. This is day four. Yeah, day three. Um, day three, I decided I needed to take some Advil midday. And so I made myself an egg sandwich because I didn't want to take it on an empty stomach. Um, and I was hungry. So I fi- I've, I've n- realized that the coffee really was, um, you know, helping curb my appetite during the day. But today I'm back to normal. So today on day four, I have not had the hunger I was having the other three days, which is so interesting. I was not expecting to feel hungrier, any of that. It's very interesting. I had been contemplating switching out coffee for either – have you heard of um, Pal de Arco? I have seen that. I've never heard anyone say it, but I've seen that before. What I don't know it? if that's how you say it. <laughs> um, it's, it's a herb – you can make into a tea though, but apparently it's really good for sugar cravings and for candida because okay. I think I might have a little bit of that. And you can make a tea out of it. So I was thinking of maybe switching to that. And then also, I keep seeing the Four Sigmatic Mushroom Coffee. Have you heard about this? The mushroom? Yeah, I've seen that before. Yeah. And so that keeps like popping up everywhere. So now I'm thinking maybe I should try that. So I just have this idea, though, that if I don't have my morning spike with the coffee, then it will – will my circadian rhythm be normal? I mean, obviously it will because people didn't drink coffee before before we had coffee. I don't know. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, I do. And, you know, it's – it's it was one of those things I was like, why why tinker with something that, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of thing. You know, why am I experimenting like this? Because I'm in a groove. Everything's working great. Why would I risk changing it up? But I just wanted to see. So <laughs> maybe I'll try. I'm trying. We'll see how it, how it goes. I'll report back if I, um, you know, decide not to add it back. But really, the thing I think that kept me always never considering giving it up was that I love having that mug of hot coffee. But once I started drinking this hot water, I was like, hey, this, this I think is pretty good. You still get the same mouth feel. Yeah, <laughs> the same like happy feeling of the that I was getting from the coffee. So I don't know. I'm not I'm not certain this is like I've given up coffee forever, but um it's just an interesting experiment. I'll see what happens when I get to the other side. I'll keep you posted. Oh, please do. I love experiments. I think it's great. I actually don't drink that much coffee, in all honesty. I may, I drink about like a quarter cup, if oh. that much. <laughs> well, I was drinking a whole lot of coffee. <laughs> like on the weekend. You know how when you when you make it in your in your coffee maker, it calls it cups, but it's really only six ounces per cup. Did you know that? No. Like if you brew eight ounces or if you brew what it was called eight cups. It's eight six-ounce cups. That's how oh. it's – I, like, measured it just Why? to see. So, I don't know. A cup of – a technical, quote, cup of coffee is really six ounces. So I was drinking 48 ounces of coffee on the weekend. And who knows how much during the school day. Yeah. Okay, wow. So, yeah, I so I probably drink, like, four ounces. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I was pretty much drinking a lot of – yeah, 
so there wouldn't be that much to cut out. Like it actually probably wouldn't be that difficult. It's really just my fear that I'm – this is my fear that I will not properly spike my morning cortisol and then my cortisol will kick in at night and then I'll have insomnia, oh. which doesn't See, make any sense. See, I've been sleeping great. I have to say, I have been sleeping great. But then again, it might be just, you know, going through the caffeine withdrawal. And yesterday I had to have a nap. Wow. And, you know, I don't nap. So, right. And I, I, but today I feel like the energy's coming back. Alrighty. So, <laughs> interesting. You know, it's always fun to experiment. So, are we, what about you? How did your, um, how'd your book signing go? Yes. So, I had the book signing yesterday. It was my first book signing ever <laughs> in life. And it was at the Barnes and Noble at the Grove in Los Angeles, which is pretty much it's like the main Barnes and Noble in LA. And the Grove is have you have you heard of the Grove? I it's have like, not. It's pretty famous, but it's this really nice shopping center. It reminds me of Disney World. It's like it's very it's very cool. It's very it's enclosed and it feels like just a little wonderland. It was very surreal. I walked up and there was like a big poster of me <laughs> in the front. And I was like, and I took a selfie with it. <laughs> and um, and then the actual event was, it was really nice. They had lots of my books and there was some listeners came. Oh, Which good. was exciting. Actually, one listener, Stacy, she originally read my original self-published book. Like she's been there from day one. With oh, my book great. journey. And so I finally got to meet her. So that was really exciting. And then um, there were some other listeners as well. And then a lot of my friends. And I, like I said, I just moved back to Los Angeles from Atlanta. So I hadn't seen a lot of people in quite a while. So it was really nice. Oh, that sounds like. great. See, you were worried for nothing. I knew it would be wonderful. It was fun. It's nice. I feel like I'm getting a crash course in all of these different things. Like I've had my first two radio interviews and I just had to figure out how to do those kind of right. on the fly. Like I never done a radio interview and yeah, all of a sudden I was doing a radio. Did you were you on the phone or on the station at the station? Both of the ones I was on the phone. Okay. But I literally know nothing, Jen. Like <laughs> like for the radio interview, the first one, the host started talking and I was listening and I was like, "Wait, is he talking to me like am I supposed to be talking right now or is this like him just introducing me like I wasn't sure like right what to do I was like do I jump in or am I not here yet I, I don't even know like I know nothing but I'm figuring it out yeah I'd, I've done two and one was like that and it was weird it was um a, it was the just Jenny show like were they talking at the beginning yes it was the just Jenny show on satellite radio and it was so weird it was in July and I was like Oh my gosh, what's happening? I don't know. It was so weird. But I was also on a local um, radio station, and I actually went to the studio and I sat there with the host, and that was fun. Oh, nice. Yeah, that would. I feel like that would be easier because they can talk you through it more. You, rather yeah, because than... you're talking to a person, and it's like you know. So that was that was a lot easier. <laughs> you're not just thrown in. Yeah, it was so weird on the phone. Yeah, it was very strange. And I think everybody just assumed because I've done lots of interviews. But right. never a radio interview. Right. So I guess people probably just assumed I knew what to do, but I really didn't. So, <laughs> Well, I'm glad it went well. But yeah, and the book signing, so it went well. So I'm just so, I'm just so grateful for everything. And 
it's a journey and I feel really good about the future. Well, good. I'm so glad. And, and our future. Yes, definitely. So are we ready to tackle some weird yes. problems? I feel like we need special theme music like I know. weird problems or something. <laughs> I know. If you re- you ready for the first if weird If I problem? had more time, I would do that. Well. Sorry, listeners. <laughs> so yes, so th- this is our weird problems episode that we've been – We've been begging for questions for – we got a lot of questions, so that didn't turn out to be a problem. Uh, no pun intended. <laughs> That's not even a pun. Okay. We're thrilled to bring you Health IQ as the very first sponsor of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Health IQ is a life insurance agency rather than a broker, which uses science and data to secure lower rates on life insurance for health-conscious people, like our intermittent fasting listeners. They can give our listeners exclusive rates, but you have to qualify by taking their online lifestyle quizzes based on everything from the metabolism to the paleo diet to, and I'm not making this up, people who like wearable weights like me. They personally guide you all throughout the life insurance process to make it easy and even fun. To see if you qualify, you can get your free quote today at healthiq.com fasting. Or you can mention the promo code FASTING when you talk to a Health IQ agent. Totally check them out. We think you'll love them. Shall we just jump in? Yes. So we have our first weird problem. And the um, this one is from Sarah. And she says, none of my shoes fit me anymore. I have been a size 8 since I was 14. So what do you think about that? I, before we answer all of these questions, a lot of my answers to these questions are going to be very simple. Yeah. So I'm guessing that's from weight loss, right? And a lack of inflammation. We talked about this before on the podcast because you said this happened to you, right, Jen? Right. Yes. But see, the interesting thing about hers is that she said that it was size 8 since she was 14 and so... It, it's interesting, but maybe maybe she's you know smaller than she was at fourteen. It's hard to know. I think it's mostly an inflammation thing. Yeah, that's my so that's my theory. That would be my hunch as well. You know, my feet were really puffy because we don't really store, except I, we we can store fat in our feet, but I feel like the main thing that people with when it comes to feet and hands is inflammation and water retention, right. edema, things like that. Yeah, now I don't know. Do we have fat in our feet? Hmm. <laughs> I don't think we do. Do we? <laughs> Not much. <laughs> People who struggle with tons of excess weight, I know they do, but in general, I don't Not much. I also do store... think that when when we're heavier, our feet spread out more. I think I said that before. You know, we're putting more weight on our feet, and so that makes them wider. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah, less inflammation and also weight loss. I think that's it. All right. I guess you have to – I guess the problem is you have to buy all new shoes. Yeah. You, yeah. Okay. Shall we move on to our next question? Our yes. next problem? Okay. So this is my favorite weird problem we have received. I told – I specifically emailed back this listener and said, this is my favorite problem that we've received. <laughs> this problem comes from Clara, and the subject is – The subject for all of these is like weird problems. Uh, Clara says, 
Hi, Jen and Melanie. I love your show so much and have read both of your books, Jen, and just got yours in the mail, Melanie, and can't wait to read it. I love so many things about intermittent fasting, but one weird problem I noticed after beginning this lifestyle four months ago is that I cry very easily during the fasted state. Not necessarily because I'm sad, but because I find so many things to be so much more touching and emotional than before. I cry over books, Hallmark cards, poems, sometimes even cheesy commercials and motivational posters. I never used to be like this, and I'm certain it began after I began fasting. I don't really mind it, but I do wonder why this change occurred and if anyone has experienced something similar. Thanks so much. Yes, I also love this question, and I have two different answers that I'm going to give, and one of them is a little out there, but bear with me. But I'm going to start with the first one that um, could possibly be the the issue here. You know, a lot of us become overweight when we when we eat during the day for many reasons, and one of them is kind of dulling your emotions, right? You know, you feel stressed, you have something to eat, you're, um, you have an emotion, you you cover that up with food. So now that we are intermittent fasting, we're missing that coping mechanism that we had for so long and our emotions are a little more at the surface. So instead of hiding those emotions behind the uh, frequent eating and the snacking, there they are and we have to deal with them. So that's one that's one theory that um, could be what's happening. Now the other one, this is really out there. So <laughs> I apologize listeners if you're going to be like, what in the world has Jen lost her mind? But um, I actually have heard people say this before, and this is the idea that our body might store emotions in our fat cells. So now I told you that sounds crazy. You're not going to find a scientific journal about that. It's, I've this heard is not, that before, actually. See, I've heard it too. People throw this around. If you're in weight loss groups for any length of time, you hear so many theories thrown around that you can't find the basis for, but this is one that people say. So it's if you, you know, Google you know, storing emotions in fat cells, you will see a lot of people talking about this as a possibility. So it might sound like voodoo or craziness, but, um, you know, in the alternative health community, you do hear this type of thing. And then as you lose the fat, you're releasing these emotions that you had kept inside. You know, you may think that sounds like absolute nonsense, but <laughs> it's something that people say. Of course, there, like I said, there's no science to back that up that I know of, but you know, I've mentioned before a book that I read, The Biology of Belief by um, Dr. Bruce Lipman, I believe is his last name. And he talks a lot about how new discoveries of, of the body and energy and, you know, we're learning new things all the time. You know, if we go back to the gut microbiome, we know things about it now that we didn't know 20 years ago since we've been able to sequence, you know, what lives there. So, there's still surprises in our body, things that we don't know. So it might sound crazy, but one day we'll be like, hey, this is common sense and we just know it. Maybe one day we'll know that's true. So anyway, those are two possibilities. What do you think, Melanie? I did do some research on this, trying to find studies on fasting and emotions, and I couldn't find very many. I thought I would find more, and I didn't really. My immediate response was, A, I completely know, uh, Clara, what you're talking about. I remember when I first started intermittent fasting and I would drive to my internship internships during college in the morning with my green tea and my fast and I would just feel 
like so emotional in a good way. I wasn't crying, but I felt very connected and very connected with my emotions. And I think a lot of that for me personally had to do with just the the inflammation going down and the brain fog clearing and just getting really – I found for me that the fasted state is just a very – it is a very emotional state, especially when you you get that clarity. And I think that encourages, for me at least, really connecting to your emotions. Because like you said, with the food dulling your emotions, there's there's nothing in the way. I have noticed that since I started experiencing like gut dysbiosis and dealing more with inflammation again and things like that, that I, I sort of have lost a little bit of that emotional aspect but kind of like people talk about being in the zone that's what I think it is well you know emotions are not that scientific anyway right that's the but they are (laughs) part of us well you know but there there's so much more than just you know neurotransmitters yeah going on there's it's a lot more than that but I do think it, it does come down to the neurotransmitters firing away in the fasted state Well, that's interesting. Are we ready for the next one? Yes. Okay. And this is from Heather. And the subject is, what's up with this weight? And she says, hi, ladies. You requested some weird problems to solve. Well, here goes. I have been yo-yo dieting my entire life since my early teens. Started IF with 16.8 several months ago. I lost about three pounds in a month. It was frustrating, but I felt better overall, so I kept going. It took about two months to switch from 16.8 to 18.6 because I would get terrible shakes, dizziness, even dry heaves no matter how much water or pink salt I had. My weight stalled. I don't have a scale. I'm just going by how my clothes are fitting. Fast forward to two weeks ago. My husband had surgery and his recovery has been taking a little longer and more of a turn than we expected. We both fell off the wagon and I mean bad. Comfort foods, a.k.a. sugar and carbs, became our fast go-to foods during this time of stress. Hubs is finally getting better, and we've slowly been trying to ease ourselves back into the IF wagon. Now, here's where things get weird. Despite my binging for two weeks, I never gained back any weight. I am thoroughly confused because it has been a near nightmare trying to lose weight even with IF, but how in the world did I not balloon up from binge eating carbs and sugar for two weeks with no IF lifestyle. Please help. I don't really have a good answer except that weight loss is very complicated and I think it likely relates to hormones and our adrenal access and just everything in our our hypothalamus and we just it's just this is a good example of why we shouldn't try to be in control of anything as far as the weight goes, as far as calorie counting goes, because in the end, we really don't even know what's going to happen. (laughs) It's possible that maybe she was over-restricting before, and so when she just went crazy and started eating all the things that, even though she was stressed, that actually relieved potentially some of her body's stress as far as the food goes and the restriction. And so maybe by overeating, um, maybe she assured her body that it was not in a restricted state mm-hmm. that maybe she was in before. And so that actually might have made her body more 
not not hold on as jealously to fat stores. What do you think, Jen? Well, I'm going to go about with this one line that she has in here. Um, she said, my weight stalled. I don't have a scale. I'm just going by how my clothes are fitting. And that's something that, that we hear in the Facebook group a lot. You know, a lot of people, they'll lose um, – you know, they'll, they'll say they're not losing any weight, but their clothes are changing and their, their clothes are suddenly too big, but the scale is not um, cooperating. In this case, though, it seems almost like the opposite. You know, she's her clothes size is not changing at all, so she's gauging her progress by her clothes only. And I really believe that if if you are not gauging your progress in more than one way, you can't really know if you are actually having progress or, at all. You know, her clothes haven't changed, but she could be losing fat. You could be losing weight and losing fat. And, you know, maybe you're losing some visceral fat, some fat around your internal organs, and your waist size may not change, but really on the scale you would have that happen. You know, we do have people that say that. Um, people complain sometimes, as I said before, that they're not losing weight on the scale, but their size is going down. But we also have people who say, I'm losing lots of weight on the scale, but my size hasn't changed. Help. You know, that's like the opposite thing. So I really feel like unless you are measuring yourself, you can't know if you're having progress or not, which is why I always say, you know, weigh daily. If you're going to weigh at all, weigh daily and then find that weekly average to compare, to track, to see. Because um, otherwise you might think that you're not having any changes, but really you are. Yeah. It's, just, it's so hard to know because I just know some days I feel, you know, bloated or whatever, but then, you know, my pants still fit and, of course, I don't weigh, but it's it's just so hard to go by by feeling, like how you feel in your clothes. It is really hard. And, like, I know for me, and I talked about this before, I've been trying to actually gain weight and I know I have – I know I've changed my calorie intake substantially. Like, I'm taking in – probably double the amount of calories I was taking in before and my weight's not changing. I, I think <laughs> like are you actually weighing? Mhm. Yes. Okay. And your weight is not changing. Wow. Something this does go back to and for her question as well. It's there's the whole body set point theory that that that, right. that the body it, if there's a weight that it wants to maintain and it's happening quote, happy at that weight, it's going to maintain that weight. Right. You know, they have overfeeding studies where, like like you're saying, they, they people over overeat and, and the body just increases the metabolic rate. And so no weight gain. Yeah. So it's, it's very complicated. And I think it just, it's yet another reason, like we often say, that there's really no point to focus on to fixate on calorie counting and the scale because it's just so complicated and, and there's so many things involved. So overall, I just think the importance is establishing a, a healthy hormonal state. And then by doing that with intermittent fasting, for example, you can support a healthy state where the body goes to a weight that is healthy. So like for me personally, I've decided not to focus on consuming massive amounts of calories, but rather to focus just on creating a very nourishing, healing state. And I think that is more beneficial in a way than calorie counting. Yeah. 
it, it is so very complicated and the body is complex, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we didn't answer your weird problem exactly, but. Wait, the next, the next question I have something for though. Oh, good. Yes. Okay. We'll read the next one. This weird problem comes from Alice and the subject is weird fasting problem. And Alice says, Hi, ladies. First things first, I love this podcast, and both you ladies do such a wonderful job, and I love how you both take different approaches. I actually am in ketosis most of the time, but on the weekends or special occasions, I do splurge, but fasting gets me right back into ketosis. However, it did take time to build this metabolic flexibility. I've been doing IF for almost two years, and I've lost 95 pounds. Wow, congratulations. Now onto the weird thing I had happen. About nine months in, I had pretty significant pain in my right side under my rib cage. I couldn't find any info on this pain, except that your organs actually can shrink during periods of fasting. Supposedly, this isn't a bad thing. Just curious if anyone else has had side pain during fasting. Thanks, girls, and keep these podcasts coming. All right. Well, this one made me do some digging around me because too. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to say that I could not find any verification. Maybe you could, Melanie, but I couldn't find anything that verified that organs actually shrink during fasting. I did. I couldn't find. Okay. Well, I couldn't find anything about that, even though I looked. But when you hear about pain on the right side under your rib cage, you think about your gallbladder. And I do know that gallbladder issues are related to rapid weight loss. So, Alice talked about how she um, lost 95 pounds and that nine months in, she was having this significant pain. So, of course, I'm not a doctor and I'm not diagnosing Alice, but my hunch would be that she may want to, if she still has this pain, go talk to her doctor and they may suspect the gallbladder. Of course, you know, maybe it's it's gone now, which would be a great thing. So, um, now I'm, I'm anxious to hear what you found about organs shrinking during fasting. Well, before I jump into that, I as well found, as far as what it might actually be, the gallbladder. There's so many things it could be. It could be the gallbladder. It could be the liver around there. It could also be kidney stones around there. Um, so large stones can actually become lodged in the kidney and create sharp pain, and that's actually right under the right rib cage. If you experience back pain correlated with that, that might be an indication of that. So I don't know if you're still having the pain um, it is something you could have a doctor check out and they could probably help you out more. I'm sorry, we can't. <laughs> I don't think it's the organ size shrinking. I don't think that should cause pain. But I did find studies. They were actually on the, um, it was some of Walter Longo's work about the fasting mimicking diet. But there are studies on rats that show fasting does decrease their organ size. For the fasting mimicking diet, which is basically a it's a um, super low calorie, low protein, higher fat and higher carb diet, which supports a fasted state as far as autophagy is concerned, as far as inflammation and um, the metabolic state is concerned. So in rats, they did find that it shrinked. It shrinked. They did find that it shrunk their the rat's organs is it shrunk or shrinked shrank shrank they did yeah. find that it affected the rat's organs 
And then also, I mean, there was, I found a 1997 study and it said that, um, I'm just going to quote, it says in mammals, severe calorie restriction or food deprivation results in a decrease in the size of most organs except the brain and <laughs> except the brain and except for the testicles in male mice. Oh, <laughs> and here's Isn't the thing though, wonderful? I'm not sure we're exactly, you know, having calorie restriction necessarily though. So that's, that's, that's a question I have with that one. You know, if, if we're feasting in our eating window, we may not be having lower calories than True. So I don't know. In the fasting mimicking diet, though, it says they observed a reduction in organ weight and kidneys, heart, and liver, but not in the lungs, spleen, or brain. Yeah. But that, that's definitely lower calorie. That's true. So I wonder if it's just more so that the, the organ shrinkage is tied to um, low calorie consumption. It's, it's possible. They said um, – so in mice, four days of a diet that mimics fasting developed to mim- to minimize the burden of um, periodic fasting, I think is what that – sorry, it's an, it's an abbreviation, so I think that's what it's saying – decreased the size of multiple organs and systems, an effect followed upon refeeding by an elevated number of progenitor and stem cells and regeneration. So I think the, the organs bounced back after they started eating again. And so with intermittent fasting, we'd be refeeding every night. So maybe that wouldn't right. be – because yeah. for the fasting mimicking diet, it's a longer – Right. So – Longer period. So it's not exactly the same. So I, we don't know. We don't we're, know. We're not sure about the shrinking organs. This is the episode we fail I, at answering. We, we, <laughs> I don't have any baseline data for my organ size. So. <laughs> Me neither. But apparently apparently it doesn't affect the brain, which is pretty that's cool. That's good. That, yeah. That's a cool takeaway. Yeah. Fasting is good for our brain. Absolutely. All right. So now we have a whole bunch of questions that all have the same. Um, these are some weird problems. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> all right. We're ready for the, the urination segment of our podcast. All right. So this one is from Teresa. And she says, Melanie and Jen, in a recent podcast, you asked for odd things happening during the fasting. Is anyone else experienced? frequent urges of urination. I realize coffee is a diuretic. However, I have not been consuming more coffee than before beginning IF. Usually two cups in the morning time spread out in about a two to three hour window. And then later afternoon, I may have another, but not on a regular basis. My water intake goal daily is at least two quarts. Once I started intermittent fasting, I noticed the urgency of urination has increased Only urgency has increased, no pain or frequency, indicating a UTI. I'm wondering, is this normal? Thanks so much for this podcast. Then we have another question from Hannah, and her subject is, my pee stinks. (laughs) Hannah says, hi, Jen and Melanie. Fantastic podcast, girls. I was so confused about how to go about IF until I found your podcast. You two have helped me to understand the importance of a clean fast And I am no longer scared that my teeth fillings are leaking. I now know that metallic taste is from being in ketosis. I've been an IFR for about four months now. I started with 16.8 but recently switched to 24. I have lost around 16 centimeters, about 6 inches off my body. So happy with the results. So my weird problem or question is, why does my pee stink? This is my third week week during doing 24 
and I'm finding that my pee stinks, like really stinks. I usually drink at least two liters of filtered water every day. I love water. I'm from Australia, but I'm currently on a work assignment in Papua New Guinea. It's really steamy hot and you sweat all day. My job is very physical and I'm outside most of the day. I don't feel dehydrated. What's going on? Is it ketosis pee? Any thoughts, girls, would be fantastic. Thank you and keep up the great work. And one more question from Jill, subject, weird pee. Hi, I have a weird IF thing for your weird questions show. I sometimes feel like when I'm IFing and I have the urge to go, barely anything comes out. And then sometimes it sort of burns just a tiny bit like I have a UTI. It never manifests into anything and sometimes just lasts a few hours or the whole day. P.S. I have a very good friend who also does IF and she also experiences this weird peeing thing. Thanks and love your show, Jill. All right. Okay. Wonderful. (laughs) Where to start? So first of all, I guess we should just talk about what is urine? (laughs) In case you're wondering, um, so urine is not just water that we're dumping from our body. That's um, an overly simplistic view of it. It's a way that our body dumps chemicals, dead blood cells. It also contains urea, uric acid, ammonia, hormones, proteins, salts, minerals, and toxins. So there's a lot going on in a person's urine, which means it could be a lot of things. So urine production could be due to detox during the fasted state. Teresa, she talked about urinating more. And my initial just thought was that that might have to do with blood sugar because fluctuating blood sugar is definitely related to urine production. Like actually, isn't um, diabetes... Yeah, one of the the symptoms of of diabetes, type one diabetes, is frequent frequent urination. Yeah, it doesn't like the the Greek word for diabetes is, is something to do with um, like the melting down of the flesh into urine or something like that. Yeah, it has something to do with urine. So I don't want to say that you have diabetes, but it could be a, a adjustment as your body is adjusting to the fasted state, to the blood sugar changes. Um, so I'd actually recommend maybe you could test your blood sugar throughout the day and see if there's something funky going on there. Also, just in general, we think that we can mitigate dehydration by just chugging straight up water, but electrolytes are also key as well. So it might be important to experiment with either just straight up salt in your eating window or um, like electrolyte mixes. I really like this one called sea salts. Have you heard of that, Jen? Not specifically, no. Yeah, so it's um, it's basically all the, the electrolytes you need um, in an assimilated, easily assimilated form that you can make a drink out of. So that might be something to play with. And then I did find one study called the effect of fasting on urinary excretion of water and nitrogen in the rat. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it found that rats housed in metabolic cages, they fasted for 48 hours, though. They reduced their daily intake of drinking water, yet increased their urinary volume, which is interesting. Well, I, I think I know why. Our bodies use water as we process food in our digestive system. So 
you know, rats have not been fed, the, not fed, but rats have not heard the message that we have to drink water constantly, nonstop. Like, you know, we've all been led to believe all you must drink constantly or you're failing, right? Rats don't have that message. They just drink when they're thirsty. So if they're not eating, they don't need as much water. <laughs> and they instinctively just are not going to drink when they're not thirsty because no animal does. Only humans think we need to force ourselves to drink when we're not thirsty. Yeah, that's something so, I was going to bring up was filling quotas. Less food means you you don't need le- as much water. And so, you know, if you're not eating, your body is releasing the water instead of like hanging on to it to process the food you're eating. So I think that has something to do with it. Yeah, like the study for the rats, they concluded that um, fasting resulted in, in a metabolic water loss. Right. There's a lot going on and there, there's changes that happen. So it's not surprising in a way that you experience differences in um, urinary patterns. As far as like the question about the smell, like the smelly urine, do you think that's like a detox effect? Well, it, it could be. It could be ketosis also um, causing that. You know, some people do report that when they're in ketosis, they smell um, – smell their urine differently so oh true especially because we can measure ketones in the urine so right so that that could be part of it and also if she's dehydrated that's going to concentrate the smell even more she talked about that because she's out in the heat but she said she doesn't feel dehydrated though yeah but she's she could still be right yeah. that was her right yeah that was her she doesn't feel dehydrated but if she's out in the heat it is going to result in more dehydration and a more concentrated urine. <laughs> and then we have the one more from Jill. What do you think about Jill? The slight burning sensation I've always associated with the kidneys. That's what I had – because I in the past have had that feeling. And the research that I did at the time, cor- it said that – I mean, it correlated it to the the kidneys being a cause for that sort of pain. But – um, do you have thoughts on it? Well, no, I've never experienced this one. I would get that one checked out. I know um, she says her friend is also having that, that same issue. This is not one I've heard before. So Yeah, that used to happen to me back in my supplement crazy day when I would supplement ah, with a lot of um, a lot of like, I, like thermogenics and things like okay. that. I would I would get this. Okay, what she's describing. But there's something maybe Something in there. And that's when I thought it was the kidneys related. Yeah, that could be it. Yeah, this is not something I've ever experienced. So So, I think the takeaway from this episode is that a lot of things can happen, but listeners are not alone. Like if you think you have something weird happening, it's probably not just you because. Exactly. All right. So now we have a whole nother set of related ones. (laughs) And these all kind of go together. So we have from Mary Ellen. She says her weird problem is a keto body smell, not breath and not underarm body odor, but entire body smells keto. And then she says, and I don't eat keto, which made me laugh. And then she also said excessive body heat. She feels like a a furnace 24-7. Deborah says, I started smelling sweet 
really weird. It smelled like sugar cookies. My husband would laugh at me. It lasted about six weeks. My husband said he gained five pounds just by sitting beside me. Uh, then we have from Sean. Sean says it's not really a problem, but I don't need deodorant anymore. So that's kind of the opposite. And then Sean also says, as, as a side note, my taste for junk food has really gone away. Processed food often tastes terrible to me. So that's kind of a separate problem. And then Monica says, I haven't had to use antiperspirant or deodorant in months since starting IF, and I'm curious why. So I lump these all together because basically it's changes in, in like sweat and body smells. Some people find they sweat more and that they have weird smells. Yet then other people find that they stop sweating and don't need deodorant and don't have smells. So complete opposite problems, both weird. Thought- <laughs> <laughs> What are your All thoughts, right. Jen? Well, I think the first two, um, the the weird body odor, I think both of those really do relate back to the idea of being in ketosis and the fact that your body is doing all sorts of things and releasing all sorts of things. You know, some people notice it in their breath. Some people notice it in their pee. Some people notice it in just an overall scent that they are giving off. You know, your body is excreting these you know, through all these different organs of your body, your skin is also an organ. So your body can excrete things that way as well. Um, so as far as, as the body heat that Mary Ellen talked about, I think that's a sign of your metabolic um, rate being boosted. And ketosis can certainly make you feel like that. Um, you know, I've, I've felt it before. Like I just feel like I'm like really in the fat burning groove and then I, because I like to measure things other than my weight, which I don't measure because I threw my scale away, but I will take my temperature. And if I have that feeling, like if I feel like I'm radiating heat, I'll take my temperature and it's elevated. So I can, I really think that's probably what's happening. You know, during the fasted state, your metabolism kicks into high gear and you're feeling it like a furnace. It especially happens to me after I eat. You know, in the summertime, out here in Georgia, it's really hot, and I live in an old house, so we're cold in the winter, we're hot in the summer, and so sometimes my husband will, like, shove me away from him on the sofa, and he's like, you're so hot, you know, <laughs> not in a good way, because <laughs> it's just, you know, after eating dinner, my body just ramps it up, so I think that's probably what's happening with both Mary Ellen and probably with Deborah too, something related to ketosis or the fat-burning state. Now, as far as, as not needing deodorant anymore, um, you know, having having the, the underarm odor is related to, you know, bacteria living under our arms. So as we become more healthy with intermittent fasting, it makes sense that we would get healthy in many, many ways, including with, you know, what lives under our arms, perhaps. What do you think about that? Yeah, so I think as far as the sweating and the smelling a lot of it goes back to detox. And remember how I said that I was going to say something, but then I was going to save it for the weird problems episode? Yes. So that it relates to this. Um, so before I started intermittent fasting, and especially I think it's more so before I started a, a paleo whole foods diet and cut out all the processed food and everything, I had normal body odor. I just thought it was normal because it is normal for most people. <laughs> and um, that actually had all went away. I don't know if it went away 
when I started intermittent fasting, like I said, or if it was more with the paleo. I think it was more with the paleo. Basically, I don't really get body odor now. I, I, I don't. And the reason I know I don't is because on the occasion that I do, I'm like, oh, this, <laughs> there this is, is the way it used to be. And so that happened. Remember when I couldn't really talk? And so I, I was doing the cough drops during right. recording. Yeah. After we stopped recording, I had terrible body odor. Oh, wow. Under, underarm. Like old days. I was like, oh, this smells like my old self. That's so interesting. Your bo- body was letting something go. Yeah. So it was very interesting that, you know, having those cough drops with whatever was in them during the fast immediately, immediately responded with body odor like I used to have that I don't have anymore. So for me, it seems like a lot of it goes back to a detox effect. So having, if it's like a bad smell, detoxing, and then when you are are in the fasted state and not detoxing, that could result in not sweating and not having smells and not needing deodorant. So I actually very rarely wear deodorant now and when I do wear deodorant it's a very natural form but I don't find that I need it as much also could it also could be because I I switched to a natural deodorant so very interesting but it seems you know since we had two people report it and you also say that that happened for you it seems like a very common weird problem which is actually a weird good thing yes (laughs) Although, I wonder if the sweet smells, that probably is, you think, the uh, the ketosis, maybe? Well, that would be my guess. I don't know. What would make you smell sweet? Like sugar cookies. I yeah. don't know. I don't know. There was some book I read. It was a crime book years ago, like probably 20 years ago, where like the guy who who did it was like, like smelled really sweet. He had like maples syrup sweat syndrome I just all of a sudden thought of that but was that a real thing maple syrup yeah. sweat syndrome? I don't know it maybe I don't know what it's called but the, I mean, this is me remembering a book that I read 20 years ago that just popped into my head but it was it was like K. Scarpetta the medical examiner I feel like I don't know it might even be a whole different book we should cut this part out no let's leave it <laughs> it's so funny <laughs> I don't remember but I just remember that there was some kind of sweet smell that the, the criminal had that was related to a metabolic condition and made him smell sweet. Now, I, now I I'm know. getting hit with a memory. I don't know. <laughs> well, listeners write in if you know. know. <laughs> it's just something I read, and I just remember that they were able to maybe track him because of his smell. I don't know. It was a good book. <laughs> It stuck with me all these years. Shall we move on to the next the next set? We have um we have three that are four four that are grouped together with um mouth ish type of issues. So here's the first one. This one is from Melissa, and Melissa says excessive drool, like random drool when speaking, and especially at night. Might be a connection to increased human growth hormone. I can't wait for this podcast. <laughs> All right. And then we have Holly. She said, hi, I just turned 40 and pretty fit and exercise regularly. I've been doing IF for three weeks. 
feels natural to me and easy. Maybe a little too easy. Side note, does that mean my window is too long? I currently do 16.8. My weird thing is you guys talked about the metallic taste in your mouth to indicate fat burning during fasting. I tend to get this metallic taste after I eat, not during my fast. I only get the metallic taste during the fast if I have a headache with it. What does this mean in terms of how my body is metabolizing the food I just ate? The taste does seem more prominent if I eat foods with higher carbs or sugar versus protein and fats, but is present with both. Thank you. I totally know the answer to this one. I think I do too, I want, but I wonder if we have – I feel like it's going to be different answers. Okay. Well, do you want to wait? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, or you can read the rest, yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Now we have Bianca, and her subject is acid, and she says – I get a sour taste in my mouth while fasting. Any thoughts? Is this acid reflux? Is my stomach telling me it's hungry? And then finally, we have Nikki, and um, her subject is weird things. And she says, okay, didn't think about it being weird until I heard the podcast talking about weird stuff, and a light bulb went off. Every morning while in the fasted state, I noticed I'm clearing my throat a lot. Hmm, I thought, why is that? Could it be like your sleep cruddies in your eyes, your body's way of detoxing? I only have black coffee and sparkling mineral water until my window. So, is that weird throat crud? Love the podcast and your books. I love to share what I have learned from you guys to the people around me. Please keep the podcast going. Love, Nikki. Alrighty. So, we have drooling, we have weird tastes, and we have clearing our throats. <laughs> A lot. <gasps> so much stuff. First of all, shout out to Bianca. So she's the one who wrote about the sour taste in her mouth. And she came to the book signing. She actually asked the question because there's a Q&A section session. There's a Q&A. We had a we had a Q&A. And um, she asked her question. And she said that she sent it into the podcast. So I was like, Oh, I'll make sure that we feature it on the podcast. So oh, hi, yay. Bianca. It was wonderful to meet you. You're awesome. So she spoke about having a sour taste in her mouth while fasting. She wondered if it was acid reflux or is it because she's hungry? And I I do think a key thing to see is when during the fast this happens. Because I know for me personally, in general, I didn't used to be this way. But ever since I got the gut dysbiosis and all that stuff, then the longer I would go into my fast is when things like this would start popping up. For me personally, and what I think it could be for a lot of listeners, is a detox. It could be due to gut dysbiosis, so bacteria, candida overgrowth. And when those those little guys get hungry, the longer you go into the fast, they can start releasing toxic byproducts, which our, our tongue is actually one of our pathways for detoxification. That's why like in Chinese medicine and just medicine in general, you can look at your tongue and the different like colors and different, um, I don't know, like the way it looks can tell a lot about your internal digestive state. Can I share something weird about my tongue? Since I have stopped having coffee, my tongue has been furry. I mean, not like literally furry, like, you know, fur, but it feels weird yeah do you think that's because you're detoxing or do you think because I don't know I mean I, it has to be related somehow but I was like why is my tongue so weird 
I want my tongue to go back to the way it used to be. So like, I always say before I had digestive distress, but before I had digestive distress, when I was just like the fasting and didn't have all the craziness, I I remember, I distinctly remember having a very, very clear tongue and very, very clear spit and never really thinking about my tongue. And then once I started getting problems and issues and trying to figure out all the the food stuff, that's when I started having like weird spit and weird tongues and weird. So this is weird. (laughs) Um, So I think I think it's a huge in general, it's often a reflection of the digestive state. And yeah, well, something's going on with mine. So keep me updated on, on that. I will. I will. And would it be too much oversharing to say that I also had cloudy urine? No, not at all. Sorry, listeners. <laughs> so it's it's like my body, and I wasn't expecting any of any of that. I wasn't expecting any kind of weird detox kind of feeling. So that's what's so interesting about this whole experiment. What about the drool? We haven't talked about Melissa's drool. So I actually think that the drool and the throat clearing could potentially be similar things. Did you know, I just heard the other day, I don't remember which podcast I heard it on, but it was from a health authority figure. <laughs> feel bad that I can't source more specifically. But they said, do you ever um, eat something and then you feel like it's stuck in your throat? No. Oh, you don't know what I'm talking about? They said this and I was like, I was like, I was like, I know exactly what you're talking about. I mean, about. I, I've had that in my life, but I, I've had it in my life, but not, it's not something that happens like Yeah, it, well, it doesn't happen to me often but I, I have been noticing it more recently with different foods like I'll eat something and then I feel like it's stuck in my throat it's actually not stuck in your throat I mean it could be <laughs> but um if you have that like symptom if that's a thing that happens for you after you eat certain foods the the medical professional on the podcast that I can't remember said that it has to do with inflammation so you're eating like you're eating a food that your body has an inflammatory response to, and then that instigates inflammation in your throat, and that's what creates the oh. feeling of something being stuck there when there's not anything stuck there. Okay, that makes sense. Like, I remember being a kid and, like, having an aspirin get stuck down in there. Have you ever had had that? Like, when you take a like, – met, like, that, I guess aspirin didn't used to be as coated as they are, and it would, like, get stuck in your throat, and it would kind of feel like it was burning. But – I could see that if the food is something that's not working well for you, it would have that same kind of feeling. Okay, that's interesting. It's just sparking up inflammation rather it's than not that actually it's actually being... stuck there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe that's also because you know there aren't a lot of foods that don't work well for me. So that's true. And then for me, <laughs> that's why I don't. I'm like, no, I never have that. <laughs> I think about I think about you all the time now. Whenever I have like a like a reaction to something, I'm like. Oh, I wish I was Jen. No, no. <laughs> really. I know, but you wish you could eat it. I know. I know what, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. For the throat clearing, I did research on it, and all of the research that I found seemed to indicate that throat the need to clear your throat relates obviously to um, mucus accumulation, and it relates to inflammation. Like your your throat's only secreting excess mucus if it needs to 
deal with something there. <laughs> so if it needs to like moisturize your throat for some reason, if it needs to trap something, some har- something harmful, um, if your throat is inflamed. So basically it could be allergy related. It could be yeah, it could be related to something that you're eating. It could be that the fasting is creating a detox effect. So I would say that um, I would suggest that you try maybe like natural antihistamines could maybe help, maybe like quercetin or maybe upping your vitamin C, but you shouldn't be constantly needing to clear your throat. And I will know, I will say, I went through a period where about a few years ago where my throat was constantly closing up and I was constantly clearing it and it was really, really bad. And that's when I realized I was allergic to lettuce. And when I cut that out, that all stopped. Wow. Um, Do you have any thoughts on the throat clearing and the drooling? No, I think, well, I do have one thing that was interesting just because I searched for fasting and saliva to see if there was a connection. And I actually found a study, we'll link this in the show notes, but there was a study called the effects of fasting on saliva composition of all things. what did it find? Yeah. It actually found the flow rate of fasting saliva was half that of the control group. So we would actually expect, based on that, that you would have less saliva and not more. So that's interesting. I can't explain why why Melissa would have more because the, the study I found showed that there was less. Oh, we, we haven't talked about the, the metallic taste. Oh, Holly. Holly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so we both think we know what it is. I wonder if we think it's the same thing. What? Do, so to recap, Holly gets a metallic taste, but it's after she eats. after she eats. She, yep. Or she'll get it during the fast if she has a headache. Yeah, I that's you know the taste of ketosis, and so people often ask this question like, how can I taste it? Because I just ate a whole bunch of carbs, so why would I all of a sudden have more of this metallic taste in my mouth than before? And that's because your body actually produced those ketones during your fast, and now it is excreting them through your breath. And you just gave your body more fuel in the form of like carbohydrates or whatever you ate. So your body's like, all right, I don't need these ketones right now. Get rid of those. Instead, let's get the energy from the food we just ate. And so it like blasts out those ketones in your breath. That confused me for a while too because I was like, well, I just ate a cheeseburger and I'm already back into ketosis. And I, you know, I had like a breath keto meter and I would blow in it and I could, I was like, how could this be? I'm clearly getting this red on this keto breath meter, but I just ate a cheeseburger. I'm still in ketosis. Well, no, those are old ketones that you're still puffing out. I never thought about that. That's just from my, from my personal experience. I find that happens a lot after I eat. I'll get more metallic taste and it's it's because the ketones were already there your body doesn't just spin on a dime i mean it's got to like you made all those ketones before you ate it's got to do something with them right it doesn't just save them in the bank of ketone for later that's actually (laughs) something i was um researching so quick tangent because since i've been experimenting with adding more calories but still maintaining my intermittent fasting lifestyle and been experimenting with um, adding MCT oils. Do you know, Jen? Oh, good. I can, I can ask you this. Um, so, like, for MCTs, 
and ketones. Do you know if, and I researched it and I can't find anything. Are, are ketones, it seems like they're made like pretty, like they're made on an as needed basis rather than quote, like stored. That's what I think. I think that, yeah. What I want to know, can I make some bulletproof coffee? If I put in, you know, 600 calories of MCT oil, is that going to create lots of ketones that will store temporarily in the liver? Or is it kind of like it has to all be used right then or excreted? Do you want, do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. I've, I, I don't know the answer to that, but my sense is that your body uses them or excretes them. Because it would be ideal if it could create them and like hold on to them, you know, but I yeah. don't, I don't, yeah. I don't know if it does. I don't think it does. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like it doesn't, but I don't know. Someone could could let us know if, if we're not sure. They could write in and tell us if they know the answer to that. But no, I'm not sure. Oh, wait. But I, I actually I actually thought it was a completely different thing, the metallic taste. Oh, okay. Oh, well, I'm sorry then. <laughs> what did you think it was? Um, just because she said she gets it after eating. It could be because she says she gets it more with higher carb or higher sugar foods. could be a byproduct of yeast because um, they convert carbohydrates and sugars and starches into alcohol and carbon dioxide, and that fermentated process can create a metallic taste. That's what I thought it might be, just because it was from the um, the eating. But I, if you ate a lot of carbs, your body would more quickly switch over to, to burning those and more quickly want to get rid of those ketones. I know. Well, I mean, it could be that. Or so we don't know. Yeah, we don't know. It. it could be it either could be of those. It. But that is an interesting question. All righty. Well, we have lots of other problems, um, but we will have to save those because we are out of time. Yes, we will. We will have some more weird problems for you next week. So this has been a wonderfully weird episode, Jen. I feel like we weren't that much help, but hopefully... It assures listeners that you're not alone in anything you're experiencing with intermittent fasting and you should keep on keeping on even if weird things pop up. I think that's the takeaway. That's a good one. All righty. Any, okay, any thoughts well, before we go? No. And um, I think we, we explored some very interesting topics and I can't wait to see what we explore next week. Me too. I enjoyed this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For listeners, a few things before we go. If you have your own, well, I was going to say if you have your own weird problems, you can still send them. We're not going to have in time another weird problems episode that we can put them on, but we would love to hear your weird problems and we can still address them on the podcast. So feel free to send those in. Uh, you can do that by directly emailing questions at ifpodcast.com. You can also go to our website, ifpodcast.com, and you can submit questions there. Additionally, at that website, if you go to ifpodcast.com slash episode 41, that's where we will have show notes, links to the references, anything that we mentioned. You can also go to ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like. That's where we put all of the stuff that we like. I think the only thing that we mentioned on this episode was, for example, like the book. Them, that Jen read about the biology, the biology, the biology of belief. yeah. But basically, yeah. there's everything that comes up on the podcast that we like product, like products, supplements, all the things. Oh, the sea salts. I'll have to add that to that page. The electrolyte 
um, supplement. And then lastly, if you are in iTunes, you can subscribe to our podcast and you will get the episodes downloaded automatically every week. So we really suggest that you do that. And if you're there and would like to write a brief review, that would also mean the world. Any final thoughts? No, I'll just talk to you next week with our weird problems, weird problems part two. two. Alrighty. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, the opinions we discussed on this show do not constitute medical advice. We're not doctors. Check out ifpodcast.com for more information on us. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.